0: The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. It is June 7th. Uh, we are talking Adrian Griffin. We are talking Brewers Orioles. We are talking a uh, little bit of Big T- Big East, Shock Smart, UConn Big 12 stuff. We're talking Live in PGA. That is all on today's podcast. But before we get going, just a reminder follow along on social media. Tabby the Keg on Twitter, Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram and TikTok. If you're following on one, you can follow on another. The fact that I blessed you with another podcast. This week I am going to be off tomorrow before Mitch and I get in the saddle on Friday. But I'm just saying, like you did not see this coming. We had to talk. It was a big day. If you don't want to follow or you don't have more social media than what you're already following me on, you can follow. You can leave us a review. You can drop this in the group chat, uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. If you are new to this program, we appreciate all new listeners, and hopefully you are along for the ride for more than just one podcast. All right, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and Adrian Griffin. Adrian Griffin met with the media and was introduced as the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Adrian Griffin, who some will call Dr. Griffin, I don't know if he's actually going to be called Dr. Griffin. I do like Doc Griffin. Uh, I think it's uh, Doc Griff. I, I You could kind of workshop a few different things. There is an offer here of promise for the Milwaukee Bucks in the future here. A future that is not necessarily a rebuild or the next step of what the Milwaukee Bucks are. The Milwaukee Bucks are already a great team. We we know that. We know that how good the Milwaukee Bucks can be. We know that maybe a coach can push them over the edge. Mike, you know, Jason Kidd, got this team to a certain point. Mike Boonholzer got this team to a certain point. And now the Milwaukee Bucks hope that Adrian Griffin can get them to another level. And some of the things that they did not do with Mike Boonholzer, they believe that Adrian Griffin is going to help them clear those hurdles. Some of the issues that the front office or ownership had with Mike Boonholzer, they think can be changed with Adrian Griffin. Now, he was considered a long shot by a lot of people, including yours truly, but it seems like Adrian Griffin gave the Bucks the best, best path to succeed, more so than Nick Nurse, more so than Kenny Atkinson, more so than any of their other candidates. They interviewed over 15 candidates and whittled it down to six, and then whittled it down to three. What the Milwaukee Bucks did with their coaching search was extremely tactical. It was extremely well thought out. There was no sort of Leroy Jenkins moment where are we sure we're not thinking about this guy? Well, what about this dude? Uh, Remember, everybody thought Kenny Young was gonna get the job for Phoenix. It ended up being Frank Vogel in the 11th hour. There was none of that bullshit. And I think what you're seeing is a united front. You're seeing a top-down organization, not necessarily saying that the front office is going to have say in what Adrian Griffin is doing, but that everybody is on the same page, that everybody is pushing forward. And I think Adrian Griffin is not just talked. I don't think that this is just lip service. I don't think what Adrian Griffin talked about to the head, to the front office, to the ownership, to Giannis Antetokounmpo, I do not believe that it is lip service after hearing him talk today. It's pretty clear that he is not only confident in himself, but he also is a, you know, a person that respects where he is, that knows, you know, what it took to get here. I can see how him and Giannis relate because of the hard work and what Griffin had to do to be an NBA player for nine years and what Griffin had to do to kind of go up through the ranks as a NBA coach, I think that's a that's very relatable to your star player. So no there's no question why Giannis would wouldn't want this guy, right? And so I think there is sort of this promise that Adrian Griffin has laid out for the Milwaukee Bucks. The future is there, but it's it's a weird thing, right? Because we're not talking about year one of the next generation of the Milwaukee Bucks. Because I really do think what the Bucks have right now is special. They just had a coach that it ran stale and it ran stale quick. And that 2021, while great, while something that I will never forget, was maybe influenced by a guy that was trying not to get fired. And he threw the kitchen sink out to make sure he didn't get fired in the series against Brooklyn then had an advantage against Atlanta and was able to beat, beat that Hawks team and then beat a Suns team, but let's be clear, was the better coach than Monty Williams. There are ways where the Milwaukee Bucks might not have won that title. There are certainly paths that could have derailed that. If Kevin Durant's foot is one inch behind the line, the Bucks are up there with some of the most tortured franchises, and there's a lot of discussion about Giannis Antetokounmpo leaving for somewhere else. But we don't have to live in that world, thank the Lord. So why is Adrian Griffin here? Because he is trying to clear what, whatever you know, standstill the Milwaukee Bucks, whatever quicksand the Milwaukee Bucks are in right now. Griffin is trying to pull them out of it, and. It took the Bucs losing in the first round to see this and losing the way they did, losing five games to Miami Heat, showing that there was probably too much reliance on Giannis Antetokounmpo. Remember, you can go back into the December, January, uh, February logs and hear about us talking how, okay, this Milwaukee Bucks team without, without Giannis Antetokounmpo can get to the second round of the playoffs. That was a conversation that people were fucking having. And the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks could only win one game against the Heat, that Eric Spolstra outclassed Mike Boonholzer, there was a need for change. And the fact that the NBA Eastern Conference is still wide open next year. The Miami Heat have a lot of salary cap issues. The Boston Celtics have to decide on Jalen Brown. The Philadelphia 76ers are entering into a similar experience, but I would argue that the Nick Nurse, Joel Embiid relationship is a lot different than Giannis and Adrian Griffin. And that is just obviously at a high level, but I can see the writing on the wall and I think there will be real problems with Nurse and Embiid as the year goes on. And it might not be a year one thing, it might more be a year two thing, but I do see a lot of friction and tension between those two guys. I do not think it is going to work out. I I will be on that island, but we're not here, obviously, to talk about Philadelphia. The Milwaukee Bucks have, you know, a, a promise here that it's going to be a little bit different, and Griffin talked about that, right? Griffin talked about his aggressive style of defense. He talked about wanting to force turnovers. He talked about, you know, making sure that the Milwaukee Bucks were pressuring the ball. A lot of things that we did not hear from Mike Boonholzer. Then on the offensive side of the ball, Adrian Griffin was talking about utilizing his star power. There was no conversation about playing random or positionless basketball and using the strengths of Giannis Antetokounmpo Talking about three pointers, it wasn't, hey, we're just gonna fire. He talked about team threes and talked about rhythm threes. He also talked about crashing the offensive glass, which is something that I don't think the Bucs did enough of. I think the Bucs were so focused on getting back into their drop defense that they didn't really offense, they didn't offensive rebound maybe as much as they should have. Now it wouldn't surprise me if the Bucs were near the top in offensive rebounding percentage. Just because they have Santa Kumbu, they have Brooke Lopez, they have Bobby Portis, so it's not. It would not be surprising to me if the Bucks were actually okay in an offensive rebounding perspective. But it's at least it's at least worth a gander here, and we we'll, we'll take a look here. So we're just looking actually not at percentage, we're looking at total offensive rebounds per game. The Bucks are actually 11th. So they, it wasn't, again, it wasn't like they're bad, but you can always improve on that. You can always improve. You can always make yourself better. And Adrian Griffin is going to try to do that. So the vision that's been promised is different than Mike Boonholzer's. I think it would have been a tough pill to swallow to do similar things that Mike Boonholzer laid out in front the Mike Budenholzer plan you know only worked to a certain point and as we noted 2021 I, I don't I'm never gonna call it a fluke but it's just it, it was a different atmosphere and we all knew it we all felt it and it never stayed 2022 it reverted back 2023 it reared its ugly head case in point Drew Holiday on Jimmy Butler throughout that that series so now we start a new era of Bucks basketball, and it's going to be it's going to be exciting. I, I'm very much looking forward to the Adrian Griffin experience, and we'll start to get little colonels watching them in summer league, like watching them in preseason, and it will be very fun to see how it develops and how it grows. And adding a guy like Terry Stotts, I think, is great. I think that will help Adrian Griffin through some of the tough times, through how do I inspire guys during losing streaks? How do I keep their wits about us if we start 16 and two to begin the year? How much do I push? How much do I pull? Do I need a good cop, bad cop? Should I come down on this guy harder or not? I think Terry Stotts will be that confidant for Adrian Griffin. And I do expect there are going to be more former players that they build around, because I think that is something Giannis Antetokounmpo really will want. So it'll be fascinating to see what all transpires in terms of the Bucks coaching staff. And now now we go. And I wouldn't say as far as the Bucks are out of excuses, but this is a huge indictment for John Horst. Now, I'm not putting John Horst on a hot seat, one executive of the year. I think anyone would be happy to be John Horst right now he has one of the better jobs in the NBA straight up I think that now John Horst has made this choice there is will always be the comparison to Nick Nurse Kenny Atkinson did not get a job but as we talked about on tapping the keg three weeks ago four weeks ago I think it was three weeks ago how I said Bob Myers is gonna step down he did uh, Steve Kerr is going to move up to the front office, not announced yet. Again, I have no knowledge of this. This is just me putting together puzzle, very easy puzzle pieces. Like a, a toddler could do this. Uh, so Steve Kerr is going to then move up to the front office. He's going to take that spot. Kenny Atkinson then becomes the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. There you go. Uh, that will be likely the Kenny Atkinson move. And now granted the Bucs could have had Kenny Atkinson. Bucks could have had Nick Nurse and they chose Adrian Griffin. And the reasons why was just that he knocked it out of the park with everybody. He came prepared, he was detailed, he worked, you know, he impressed everyone. He impressed the front office, he impressed the coaches, he impressed, or not the coaches, the owners, pardon me, uh, and he impressed the players. Players that being Giannis and Chris Middleton, uh, for all we know. And now it, now it comes down to how performance. I mean, regular season, Honestly, won't matter too much if the if Philly's awesome and they're the one seed, and maybe the Bucks scuffle a little bit and they're three or the four, you know that that will be talked about to start the start the playoffs. But all will matter when the chips are down, right? Um, and how the Bucks perform, you know, in the playoffs and what kind of things where it's like, well, we might have lost that game, but I think we'll we'll be seeing that a lot. And maybe the Bucs are a supernova. Maybe they're awesome in the regular season again. And they go on this revenge tour and they actually do something come playoff time. I'm very fascinated to see how this all works out. Um, I I kind of drifted away from John Horace, but yeah, if this, if this goes wrong, it's on John Horace. And John Horace has decisions around Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, which I have a little bit of intel on that. Um, that, it, well, one's Intel. One is stuff that's being said by other people. So after those decisions, it becomes, well, what guys work with Griffin's system? If Griffin watched the tape and says, I don't think Grayson Allen works. I don't think Bobby Portis works. I really like Marjan Beauchamp. I think there is something there. I think Miles Leonard actually could really help us. Um, you know, I wonder, you know, what conversations are now being had leading up into the draft, and then right away after free agency. Those are the ones. So we'll see if Griffin can deliver on all of his promises next season. Couple little quick bucks things before we move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, I heard today uh, from somebody that the Middleton deal is gonna hover around three years, 100 mil. I don't know if it's gonna be that affordable. I think that would be amazing for the Milwaukee Bucks to get a three-year, 100 million dollar deal, uh, Mitch was saying in the same chat that I I heard this that three 120 would probably be more reasonable, um, would be around where Middleton has been making. Jake Fisher reported on Yahoo that the Bucks and Middleton are coming closer to that agreement. I don't know how the NBA. I know they can talk before the before the free agency as. You know Middleton's still a Bucks employee. They changed that this year, and if that is the case, can Middleton rip up his player option and then the Bucks sign him for that three-year, hundred million dollar deal? Uh, I also heard a, a trade rumor around Bobby Portis. I'm not gonna not gonna fully share it yet. Um, I know that that is kind of shitty of me, but it's it's just way too early. Um, I, I just I'll be curious to see if I see more smoke on it. Um, but I I just don't. I'm not like a fully confident. The guy who I've I've heard this from, he's been wrong on a couple of things, so it's like I, I don't I don't trust it entirely, and I, it's just so early to be talking trade. I I feel like we're so far away, so much can fucking happen. Uh, so but let's just put it this way: Bobby's being thrown around in some trade discussions. Let's just let's put it there, okay? That's that's the other nugget I heard. Uh, the other one that's been talked about now, I have no knowledge on it is Brooke Lopez to Houston. Uh, heard it from Houston's beat writer. He heard it from Shams Charania. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, it's something that, I, I mean, I think M. A. Udoko would love to have a guy like Brooke Lopez you know, on his roster. You know, He had, obviously had Al Horford. I think the veteran leadership would definitely suit that Houston team. Now, Brooke, not very vocal of a guy. I just don't see it from a just cash out, position right wouldn't you rather go to san antonio with play with Weminyama? wouldn't you rather go to orlando not to exactly need brooke lopez but wouldn't you rather go somewhere like that instead of houston like houston's just not not entirely that last stop destination unless they way overpay Uh, but that's interesting to say the least i still think the bucks are going to try to run it back with brooke with chris with Giannis. Drew it to me is the big question mark, um, but we'll we'll talk about that more with Mitch later this week. So stay tuned for that. But I wanted to update the people on that before uh, heading to the Milwaukee Brewers. All right, let's talk about three things you need to know about the Milwaukee Brewers game against the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, we do this after, I wouldn't say every game, but we do this after games when we have a podcast. And we just pick three topics that I feel like mattered from the game itself. Uh, it was a great win for the Milwaukee Brewers. They win four to three on a walk-off. It is the Brewers fifth win in seven tries. Uh, they are playing very good baseball. They retake first place from the Pittsburgh Pirates who lost to the lowly Oakland Athletics. Jace Peterson with two home runs in that game, by the way. Uh, but the biggest thing from this game was Joey Weimer. Uh Joey Weimer continues to be hot. Uh, he has a seven game hitting streak now. Uh, he had the walk-off single in the 10th inning to win the game for the Milwaukee Brewers. A really good piece of hitting. He pulled his hands in. He got it through uh, and into left field would have been a double uh, had it just been a normal inning, uh, but obviously only a single as the, the game ended with Monastero scoring. Uh, but Weimer continues to show promise at the plate. Uh, you know He's he's starting to feel it a little bit. Um, There's still some of those big, dumb Joey swings, as I guess I would call it, because he's a little bit of a meathead. Like he is Gronk without a a personality. Like that guy, all he wants to do is play baseball. He does not have media training yet. Maybe in a year, a year from now, uh, he'll start loosening up or he'll start kind of understanding, you know, how to sell himself a bit more in the media. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot to like with what he's doing at the plate. Also, he's been he's been great in the field all year, but the catch he made in the third inning to rob the Orioles batter, I can't forget. I forget who the name was, but that would have been at least one run scored. The guy was on third. Had Weimer not come up with that play, Brewers would have then be down three to two at that point. Uh, and if Weimer would have really misplayed it, there was a runner on third. I think there was two outs too. So he, would, he was running on the play. So he probably scores, cause it was in the deep part of right center when Weimer makes the catch. So it's probably 4-2 Orioles if Weimer doesn't come down with that, that ball. Changes the entire makeup of the game. Changes the start for Freddy Peralta. But Weimer making that catch was truly impressive. I think if Weimer continues how he's playing in center field, there is a legitimate conversation to be had for Weimer for Gold Glove. I know center field and Gold Glove is a major, major thing. But you have to at least acknowledge it. And if Weimer finds it with the bat, he's going to be a part of that Rookie of the Year conversation. Uh, you know, there's there's obviously some great candidates in the National League, Ellie De La Cruz, just coming up yesterday for Cincinnati, which, by the way, uh, total bummer for me. Uh, the fact that De La Cruz gets called up one game after, or two games after I was in the building, or actually three, since I was in the building uh, at Great American Ballpark. But it would have it been awesome to see one of De La Cruz's first at-bats and first... You know moments it would have been packed with red reds fans, though. I believe it was a sellout or it was close to a sellout. Uh, they really celebrated, you know, their new star the right way. Um, it seems like there is a potential a little bit of a Giannis effect with Ali De La Cruz, and I feel like he has more potential than O'Neill Cruz um, of the Pittsburgh Pirates, but it's the same sort of energy. And the Reds being sort of still in the mix, right? Like, there is a world where the reds and they walked it off tonight against the dodgers they were down eight to three they came all the way back to win that game nine to eight uh, if you had the dodgers on the money line at plus 160 you had a nice you had a nice little evening uh not not saying i know anyone on that on that one but anyways i think the larger point is the reds are the reds could be a factor like the reds definitely need to be taken seriously they don't really have the pitching but they they need to at least be acknowledged is what i'm what I'm getting at. And to bring it back to Joey Weimer, Weimer could still be in that conversation for some of the best NL rookies. And the defense is going to get him there. That's why they kept with him. That's why Weimer wasn't sent down at any point because he was so good defensively. Same with Bryce Trang, right? Uh, Bryce Trang, we're going to talk about... I guess we can talk about it now. I was going to put him at... I was going to put him third and talk about Freddie Peralta. But Bryce Trang had his first really big game offensively saying, God, no, I, I, I can't remember you know, a bigger Bryce Train game recently. Like he had some moments in April, obviously, but man, that was a really special one for Train. all things considered. Like he is not dead yet. Uh, I think all of us were like, all right, Bryce Trang, he's out of here. Like there's, there's no way, send him back to the minors, get him some at-bats. But here he comes with a two for four game. He also had a, like, also remember, this is how funny baseball can be. He had a brutal strikeout in the first inning. The Milwaukee Brewers were, you know, I, I think they had base, yeah, bases loaded and Terrain's up there and he looks completely lost. He took, he swung at three pitches that could have easily all been balls. It could have been a 3 and one count and Terrain could have, you know, who knows what happens, right? But that totally also would have, could have changed the landscape of this game. And I think had we, you know, lost this game, it would have been a lot of conversation around men left on base because the Brewers left a lot, of, like the Brewers were productive. Like even though they only scored four runs and that's been their magic number this year, but it it, it wasn't necessarily one of those where it was four solo home runs. Like, the Brewers had guys on the base pads all night long and they just could not deliver the big hit. So as for Trang, this is his first two-hit game since Saturday, May 20th against the Tampa Bay race. That's been, you know, basically two weeks, three weeks. Uh, And I think it's his, let's see. He did, well, he had the RBI. That's only his, let's see. That's only his fifth RBI in, since Sunday, uh, May 14th. So that's almost a month, right? Uh, That is crazy. And Terang, Trang continues to to you know obviously be good defensively uh and the offense has taken a step back and we'll, we'll sort of see what the Brewers do when Adamus is ready on on Thursday you know will they keep riding with Trang and find moments for him or will they put him in the minors because you have Urias and you have and you have Adamus and you have Brian Anderson and you you know, you have Ole Miller too. Um, so what what happens there? You know, who is the odd man out? I still think it's Trang. I know it's awesome that he had this moment. Um, it's a good thing to go go home on, right? Uh, it's kind of like our Kentucky Derby, or not Kentucky Derby, oh, it was Churchill Downs. But you listened to the pod yesterday in Louisville where we won our last horse race, right? And then we had a chance for more and we went home because we wanted to eat dinner. Like that to me is kind of Trang tonight, right? He has this big night. He can go to Nashville on Thursday, ride those good vibes, see some triple-A hitting, triple pitching, and then maybe in a month he's ready to go. And maybe at, at the all-star break, you make some changes with the team. Because Luceria is struggling to start the year. I think we at least have to give Luis a month or so. But you know there are guys that, are, that should get playing time if Luis can't produce, right? Monastero, Terang if he's up, Owen Miller. Um, and Urias might find his way more on the bench than you think. Um, I, I certainly would prioritize Owen Miller getting at bats over Luis Urias. And that's definitely something to monitor, uh, going forward here. Um, and to see if he will get those at bats, uh, we'll just, we'll just sort of have to see. Lastly, uh, talk about, Fre- talk about Fred Peralta here. Uh, Frey Peralta made one mistake to Aaron Hicks. Um, kind of exactly what happened in the game against Toronto, where, Freddie had a couple bad pitches in Toronto, um, and then he settled down and he was actually all right. Uh, he had one inning in the second where he allows the home run to Aaron Hicks. He only allowed six hits. He had nine strikeouts in 98 pitches. Uh, really solid stuff from Peralta, who definitely needed a start like this. I think this was one that we have not seen from Peralta. Um, he's He certainly had a rough go of it for the last 30 days. So to have a bounce back like this is really good. And to do it against a team like the Orioles, who are one of the better offenses, who are 37 and 23 now, um, that's good stuff. Because Peralta has struggled against some good teams recently, right? He struggled against the the Blue Jays, you know, to start that game, again, settled in, but still it it wasn't easy. Um, And the Cardinals was a disaster. Uh, And so to do this now against another ALS East team, he was not bad against the Rays um, on the 14th. But yeah, I mean, good, good stuff. It was the 14th, it was I think the 21st. Good, good stuff from Freddie Peralta as well. So we love to see that. And the Milwaukee Brewers now are going to, you know, have another win on their belts and see if they can win another series um, when Corbin Burns gets the mound. You, You have to love that. Being up 1 0 in a series with Corbin Burns on the mound. Uh, Burns has not been as good at home, uh, but there's been signs of promise. You know, he had that San Francisco start, uh, and we'll see if he can kind of emulate what he did against the Giants last Saturday uh, for another solid start. Oh, and he was good. He was decent against Cincinnati. I forgot. Should, should mention uh, the game against Cincinnati. All right, before we talk about the live, live PGA stuff, I did have a couple uh, quick hitters on college basketball. We haven't talked a ton about college hoops. We mentioned OMAX um, on Monday's show when we were doing the importance rankings. Shaka Smart gets an extension till 2029 to 2030. This obviously is not, no, not a surprise, right? Uh, Shaka had such an impact on the market Golden Eagles through the last two years. Um, Some of this extension stuff is done to spread out the money uh, like you see, you know, at the NFL where they do the dead cap things. Um, This is maybe a little bit more of a formality, but Marquette's making sure that Shaka is locked in and feeling comfortable for the next seven years. And it is just a testament to what he's built at Marquette. Uh, We talked about it a little bit with Omax on Monday that this is going to only further, you know, the Shaka impact if Omax goes in the first round. And that will, you know, emulate, you know, what they've done and what they've built and really help out in terms of recruits. And I'm very excited for this season. Um, I know there are a lot of expectations. It's a weird feeling, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm gonna have to look back when the last time Marquette had this type of expectations and how it went and how do you deal with them? Uh, Because it's, it it is, it's an entirely different ballgame. You know, we, last year were the scrappy underdog. This year, we're going to be the team with the bullseye back. How does Marquette respond to that? Do they respond well? Do they not? We saw it in the NCAA tournament that they did not. Um, So there will be an inherent pressure on them to begin the year and they will be challenged right away. And yeah, similar to what we were talking with Adrian Griffin, like it might not be an awesome start to the non-conference, but who knows, right? Um, That to me does not immediately define what the Golden Eagles could be and what their ceiling is. And I think we all see their ceiling as a potential Final Four national championship team, which you haven't been able to say about Marquette basketball in a very, very long time. I mean, even in 2003, with the last time they were at the Final Four, that team was talented, that team people really liked, but I don't think anyone was talking about them as a Final Four team at the start of the year. Now, I'm a little too young, so you, those who are older can talk to me about if that was the case, but I, I, don't, I don't really think it was. I think that was a slow build and sort of the cream rose to the top uh, with Marquette. Uh, also too, worth noting, uh, Marquette, Wisconsin set for December 2nd. Uh, That could be quite the day if uh, you have Marquette, Wisconsin at the Kohl Center, but then you also have the Badgers playing in uh, the Big Ten Championship game for football. Now, you'd ask me, Charlie, what would you do from a review perspective? Uh, Well, I will tell you right now. I will do a Marquette review. Um, It would not be a Badger review. Um, I think we would do something for if the Badger football game whether it was a highlight package or something like that, though that's a that's inherently a weird day if Wisconsin, if both get there. Um, that's just one where it's it's hard, right? And that's the part I think where Marquette fans uh, kind of point to and are like, "That's why you can't be a Badger fan," because how can you fucking hate their basketball team? And I don't really hate them. I, I've said that before. I, my my sort of dislike, my ill will towards the team has not necessarily reached the levels when I was 17 or 18. And I don't think it'll ever get back to that again. But like, how do you go from one to the other? And it, 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 it it's hard, but I'm not gonna just give up college football. And I've, I've talked to you guys about this before. Uh, you know my spiel, and I'm sure I'll do it again in August, but I'm not just gonna give up being a college football fan and enjoying you know watching the team from our state and they're the only ones there. They're the only show in town. How do you do it for that day? That day is inherently weird. Would becomes weird. So you just have to sort of grin and bear it and figure it out. And you know maybe maybe I have a guest maybe we do a guest review, right? Maybe it's you know somebody a friend of mine who is a badger fan, let them get on the, get on the phone and talk about, you know, oh, here's, here's what happened in the Badger game and let them celebrate. Uh, that that might be the play. We'll we'll just sort of have to see, but uh, I'll worry about that in December. That's that's just me sort of beautiful mining, as my uh, friends like to say, when I just start thinking about planning and and it really has no purpose, and I'm just overdoing it and overthinking it. This is exactly what's happening. You're watching it in in real time. Uh, also, uh, before we go to the live PGA stuff, there is a rumor going out there that UConn might join the Big Twelve. Uh, that UConn would get like $30 million from the Big 12 to join their conference that Brett Yarmark, uh, the new commissioner who used to work for Rock Nation, has this sort of basketball across America feel. He wants to get Gonzaga and UConn. And then what you have in the Big 12, it kind of sounds like a Neil Diamond song, like basketball across America today. It's like, hey, I'm Brett Yarmark. Uh, Welcome to Big 12. Uh, but yeah, UConn might pull the same shit They did going to the American It's hilarious um, That they would do this After the reestablishment of the Big East uh, You know I think Rob Doster of Field of 68 Put it well that the Big East doesn't need UConn UConn needs the Big East He's absolutely right And there was a rumor too with Dennis Dodd's, uh report That Dan Hurley Is pretty much against this That sounds like if UConn were to go to the Big 12 that Dan Hurley really wouldn't want to be a part of that conversation which is super interesting like where would Dan Hurley go would Dan Hurley try to coach in the NBA would Dan Hurley try to latch on to another Big East team like I guess I just don't know maybe Big 10 like what is the end game for Dan Hurley why would Dan Hurley be so against this right I think you know he'd make a lot of money uh, the team itself, the facilities would get better. I know UConn is already one of the top tier teams in the Big East in that regard. So that's that's the part that I don't understand, and it'll be fascinating to to wit to watch because it's just we survived without UConn in the past. We won national championships with Villanova. We can do it again without UConn. Uh, it's great to have them. It was awesome rivalries. I think there is a case to be made for the Big East that once the dust settles on the ACC, you talk to, you have conversations with Louisville, you have conversations with Syracuse, you have conversations with Pittsburgh, and talk about how rejoining the Big East will only make it stronger and better. And you have this dominant Eastern corridor. But if UConn wants to fuck that up, go ahead. You've done it once before with the American. Did not work out for you. You came crawling back. I think if UConn leaves again, the door is fucking shut. But then again, as we learned today with Live in PGA, see what I did? Uh, the doors are never shut. So talk. Let's talk about that a little bit. So I know we don't do a lot on golf. I love golf. Um, honestly, if there's one thing I could do outside of Wisconsin sports, and I, I might be a golf podcast. Um, I don't know I don't know if I like it that much to do a podcast, but I, I, I enjoy it uh, whether it be playing uh, very casually. I've gotten out twice this year. Uh, need to get out a couple times here in the month of June uh, to keep it going uh, but I, I enjoy you know obviously watching every Sunday. Uh, it was part of the stuff that I would do with my dad. I'm sure a lot of you have similar memories and and things you still do with your dad, uh, which I do. And this live PGA thing, if I take it and make it well, let's just talk about it more from a high level and react to that, and then I want to bring it into Wisconsin sports because I, I do think there's an angle here. Uh, I think it's an absolute scumbag move by Jay Monahan. I don't, I don't think I will be the only one who calls Jay Monahan a scumbag uh, to talk in platitudes, speak so highly of what the 9/11 coalition meant, and Why they were so against this this Saudi Golf League or Live Tour uh, to now joining them, now making them a part of the PGA is so fucking disrespectful. It's hard to it's hard to put into words. It really is, and I I see that as sort of the biggest thing against Monahan, that Monahan if he wasn't so vocal with you know, what he said and wasn't so adamant and wasn't so forthcoming. I, just like any other superlative you wanna use, I might be a little more understanding about it. But this guy completely lied to cash out to basically make sure that there could be unlimited funding and that there wouldn't have to be any worries about cutting corners or cutting costs that the Saudis would take care of it and would bankroll it. And that to me is just so, so slimy. And I don't really know how Monahan survives it. Um, they had a players meeting today. Uh, 90-10 stood in ovation that they needed to have a removal of Monaghan. This still has to pass the PGA board, mind you, uh, which is very interesting. A little bit of a subplot there. That what if this gets blocked? What if people stand up to say no? What do, what happens then? Does Monaghan then say, "Well, look, we're running out of money. We basically did these elevated events. They they cost us way too much. We do not have as much funding as we thought we did. Uh, we're in trouble, and that's why we needed to do it. It'll be very very interesting. Now as for the victory lap by the Live guys, yeah, they cashed out. They made their money. They had basically a Ponzi scheme, if you will, and got a bunch of money from the Saudis to play in this winky dink league for a few few weeks, few months. You had a major champion out of it in Brooks Kapka. You had a, a bunch of live guys around the Masters leaderboard. So you can't say that it, it completely tore apart their games, right? Um, that would be the inverse here and i i think though they shouldn't necessarily be coming with these big swinging dicks maybe phil Phil Mickelson for sure should because phil you know a lot of things he said about the pga proved right but a lot of these guys took the money for a variety of reasons brooks kapka who i can't believe i don't think we talked to we probably talked about brooks master maybe we didn't but you listen to Brooks's interview the Friday of the Masters. You basically hear a guy who's like, "I thought I was finished, and I took the money because I, you know, just he was just getting married, a guy to pay for a Turks and Caicos wedding, um, with as high maintenance of a wife as I, I think anyone has on tour. Uh, so of course, like you had to, you had to get it done, right? You had to make it happen. And because of that, and because of the, you know, the inability to." play at the level that I think Brooks wants to he took the money and Dustin Johnson took the money because Dustin Johnson doesn't really give a fuck about golf he is about as carefree as it gets Bryson DeChambeau is probably in the same book as Brooks Koepka where Bryson didn't know you know what was next and yeah Bryson's a smart guy he's a big investor he probably had a bunch of different crypto things that went bunk but still they took the money because that was, he didn't know what he had left. Patrick Reed was vilified on the tour. So Patrick Reed's like, well, fuck, I'm already a villain. So why not take the money? So while you can appreciate and you can say, well, these guys cashed out and they are the winners. They were losers to kind of start, if that makes sense. Like they were in a position where they were all, they all had reasons to take the money. The only guys where I look at it where they were at the top of their game and they took cash was uh, Joachim Neiman, who was 24 years old, I believe, when he when he joined with Liv. And Neiman looked like maybe one of the best young golfers in the game. Cam Smith, another example of that, right? But those guys didn't want the stress of the PGA. They wanted to cash out early and they did. To me, those are the biggest winners. Those guys are not the bigger names. And Cam Smith's a big name, right? He's a major winner. He's been involved in a lot of majors. But I don't know if he's at, he has that same cat. Like, would every casual fan know Cam Smith? I think every casual fan would know Dustin Johnson, would know Patrick Reed. So I, I just, I think that we need to consider that. And we also need to consider that we don't have all the facts. Now, the last thing I, I want to talk about here when it comes to... PGA live the whole thing is does this open the door for the Saudi regime the PIF as they're now calling it to get into other sports I think that is the biggest question now because you could make the case that the floodgates are now open that the Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia is trying to build the middle east sports palace of the world that they're trying to make what they have now, the hub of sports entertainment. And yes, they are terrible people. They've done terrible things, but that's what they're doing. They just added Kareem Benzema to a Saudi national team. Uh, Conte of Chelsea just joined a Saudi Saudi club team. I butchered that, apologies. So, and now they have this PGA thing. So what's next? Giannis Antetokounmpo joked that he might want to play goalkeeper. Was joking, right? But I bet you a Saudi prince reached out to Antetokounmpo's agent and was like, hey, if Giannis wants to play for, a, you know, we want to create a Saudi Arabia basketball league, we want to create a live league for for in Saudi Arabia, and Giannis is the face, we'll pay him an absurd amount of money. I am 100% sure that happened today i have no knowledge of it but i bet it did because they are that crazy they want they are star fuckers okay they are the definition of a jersey chaser they want to try to fuck every possible star to try to make people forget that they are scuzzy fucking human beings so it's hard to do so will they try to get in the baseball they don't know a fuck anything about baseball but will they try to get it Would baseball allow them? Remember, to get new ownership, it would take a vote, but their money would bring in more money for everybody else. You have to remember that part. The NBA, to me, seems like the most logical candidate. Why? NBA is more major markets. Um, NBA has already done a dance with Abu Dhabi. Um, And yeah, I, I think that that would be the one where they would really try to dig their teeth in. I don't think NHL, maybe though, right? Could NHL, because they just need people to invest more in the sport, that they do business and they don't care? Is it the NFL? I think the NFL is the long shot. I, I would be shocked. That would be the one that would, I would be completely floored and not see. But I will just, I'll remind you of this before, and wrap up. If the Saudis were a you know, took over a, a MLB team, NHL team, whatever it may be. There's no pride logos. Um, there's no, ex, you know, inclusiveness. There's no celebration of women's sports fans. Some of you guys might like that. Some of you guys are fucking hardos and weirdos like that. And to me, that's incel behavior, um, honestly. Um, and you probably not, I don't want to say you should be ashamed of yourself, but just you kind of look in the mirror a little bit if you can't respect other people. Um, and, and we'd hope obviously that they respect you the whole thing, but that's what you got to remember here. These people kill people who are gay. People who are homosexual in Saudi Arabia, they die, right? If You kiss a man and you're a man or you're a woman, you kiss a woman, you die. They don't let women drive. They don't let women have jobs. They are an ass backwards nation with a ton of fucking money. That's, that's the part that you just have to remember about this. Now, am I gonna stop watching the PGA because of the things I said about Saudi Arabia? No, okay. I'm still gonna watch. I'm still gonna still gonna pay attention, but you just have to keep that in your front lobe. And if your team, maybe the Brewers, right? How do you I figure out the, the funding issues? Sell it to Saudi Arabia. Sell it to Prince Ossam. They'll take they'll take care of everything. It would. Brewers would get a lot of free agents. You've seen what they've done. Oil money has done in Premier League soccer. I've compared baseball to Premier League a bunch of different times. But there's Pride Night tonight at, at Miller Park. That would not be happening uh if the Saudis owned the team. So just keep that in mind when if you're celebrating this or you, you know, think about it from a PGA perspective. These are still pretty awful humans, and no one, no one won here today. No one won. Maybe some of the live guys, but it, it's really more a disappointing day in terms of where do we go from here? What, what, what does this mean going forward? And it could really freak you out, right? Um, and Saudi Arabia has their first real win as a country, and we'll see if they get more as the months go on all right that does it that was a, that was a little long got a little serious there at the end I hope I hope everybody's okay I just just felt like it mattered I felt like I needed to at least be said um, if we're gonna have this conversation and I don't know I don't know if everyone would say it right um, I think it's a it's a careful dance and I think we we need to at least uh, at least acknowledge it so I will be back um on friday with mitch hope you guys enjoy it it, join us for that and yeah we'll uh we'll talk then we'll you'll have me solo back at it on monday uh with recapping the weekend for the brewers i'm sure a whole bunch of other stuff all right take care of yourself have a good one see you bye